0: I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Nashville is not called Music City for nothing. From dimly lit clubs, to street corners, to storied stages, to basement studios, you can find talented players and producers in every genre. Musicians who spend countless hours honing their craft, who are seeking to innovate and develop new sounds to share with excited audiences. But the cost of housing in our town has gone up and it looks like it's going to keep going that way. That puts our talented base of musicians in a tight spot. Do they keep pushing forward while struggling to pay the rent or do they pack it up and leave their dreams behind? Today, we're taking a few we're talking with a few local musicians who are figuring that out. Part of making it as a musician is getting some solid play on the radio, and my next guest helps them do just that. Julie Height is the editorial director for WNXP, our sister station, on 911 FM. Julie has been in the game for decades and knows what she is talking about. I'm happy to have her here on the studio. Julie, welcome to This is Nashville.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So. You know, we know that the WNXP staff takes no shortcuts when it comes to their artist of the month selection process. You know, give us a little bit more detail on what you all are looking for.
1: Well, it's not, it's not an exact science. It's not the same thing every time. But, you know, in the case of Savvy, that was an artist that uh, one of my colleagues, Paige Jack, who makes so many things happen in events and marketing and promotion. That's true. She sent me this project that he dropped, uh, I think, last February called Boys Wear Pearls. She sent me a SoundCloud link. And, you know, and, and we talked about this is a really, this is a really interesting artist. He's, you know, the vantage point was, was really interesting, uh, where he was coming from. It made me want to learn more. So I started searching for him. And um, because he operates completely independently, is self-managed, is really doing his own thing with his own collective. That was easier said than done to actually <laughs> find him. Uh, you know, I'm. I got an email address, shot off an email, didn't hear anything for for several months and then tried again, tried again, and I didn't even realize the address that I was writing to. I thought I was writing to somebody who was maybe his manager named Elijah and it was him. <laughs> it was Savvy himself. <laughs> he finally responded and he said, "Hey, it's me." And then, you know, it was a matter of kind of diving into, having a first conversation, getting to know him, finding out Um, what he was up to, what he was working on, and then when I found out he was working on so many things. Clothing line, documentary, DJ duo, and an album, and there was, you know, really interesting concept behind the whole thing, That felt like, you know, this is the right moment to dig in and spotlight this whole body of work that he's doing, what he's up to.
0: So you were talking about his vantage point when you were listening to his project. Go into that a little bit more for me. I mean, what was it that really drew you to his work?
1: I think that, you know, there is this this kind of attitude coming across where there was, there was a sense of humor, even when he would kind of throw shade in his songwriting, you Mm -hmm. know, there was, it was so, it was so laid back. It was so, I mean, definitely coming from like a, like a young vantage point, but, um, but someone, it felt like he was kind of rebellious in a low key way, you know, like Mm -hmm. not letting anybody tell him, um this is this is what you should be this is how you should tell a story or even this is what you should brag about because mm-hmm. what he what he flexes about in in his lyrics is often stuff he finds at thrift stores or you know like how he can um make a cheap car seem stylish seem okay. like a stylish ride or things like that i mean those those might seem like um you know lightweight things but really it was it's it's his way of of saying like i'm carving out my own identity my own sense of style and and that kind of thing even how he sings and raps you know i mean he's finding his own his own style it's not about hitting the note in a perfect way but mm-hmm. having you know um bringing bringing attitude to it being as laid back as he actually is in real life you know and yeah. as adventurous and spontaneous as he actually is in real life.
0: That's, I like the fact that he's making like bragging about what he finds at the thrift store and making very common things relatable. It's That's very different from a lot of particularly major label hip hop artists. It feels like they're so inaccessible because I don't have millions of dollars. I, I can't fly to Dubai tomorrow to relate to.
1: Yeah, and that is he kind of spun that into a concept behind the new album that he just dropped, which is actually called Poor, his Poor Clothing line, the documentary that he's about to put out called Poor TV. I mean, that's a thread through all of it, and there's serious thought behind that, too. I mean, he's, he's telling stories from the vantage point of somebody who grew up shopping in thrift stores by necessity with his family, because that's what was... What was available to them? That was what was affordable. And then he's made it into his his own style. So he's looking at, you know, what happens when you have lived this experience, you know, and you and you see how people perceive style and class and, you know, economic means and the lack thereof. And when you want to take that you know, into your own control and make it kind of, he turns it on his head, so Mm. he gets to define um, what is style, what is stylish, what is creative, what is self-expression you know he's kind of turning that on a, on its head in a really in a really interesting way in a way that is him and all these projects
0: now when it comes to record of the month you mentioned that it's not an exact science over at WNXP but i'm sure you all have a good number of submissions to consider why did you all choose to go with savvy's project
1: i mean we have we have stuff coming from all angles all the time in the sense that there are you know, there are reps that are hired to, that is their job to send us music, you know, working for a label or working independently or their artists, managers, publicists, that kind of thing. So there, there's all this music coming from the official channels um, that, that we pay attention to. But we also want to make sure and not miss the work that's coming from artists who do not have that kind of framework around them, you know, and... So that takes that takes paying attention to who's doing what in Nashville and keeping your ears open and your eyes open and talking to people and asking, you know, every time I get to talk with an artist, you know, I'll also ask them, who else are you watching for? Who are you listening for? Who should I really be paying attention to? Who do you believe in? Um, So it's kind of a. You know, it's a 360 degree thing where you've got stuff that's being sent in and then you also want to not miss the stuff that doesn't happen to have an official publicist or rep behind it. So there's, you know, there's stuff worth paying attention to that's coming all these different ways.
0: Now, we're going to hear from Savvy in just a bit, but Julie, you know, how does it feel to help give artists like Savvy a boost in exposure by playing their music? On WNXP on the radio. Back in my day, you made it to the radio. You made it big time.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know that we've. I, I would not say that we've helped anyone, um, you know, land a hit or or make a career just yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that not that sense of self importance to that degree, but uh, but it it feels like it's what should be happening. It feels like um, it. You know, we would be not doing what we need to do if we were not you know doing that that extra legwork and looking for artists operating independently outside the system on their own too. We would miss out on so much stuff and uh, it means a lot to me to talk with people who have been here for a long time making music, invested in music for a long time and if they hear hear themselves if they hear people that they admire people they consider peers look up to finally getting played on the radio or finally getting serious attention you know and and it makes a difference to them i mean it makes a difference to me to hear that from them so Mm -hmm. i think that's one sign of doing something right
0: julie do you have any advice for musicians on how to make their musical impact in our town in music city
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what you're uh, what you are setting out to do. There is no one size fits all. There's no one thing that I think works for um, for everyone. I'm I'm watching and interested to see the ways that artists are improvising and the the ingenuity, because it takes trying so many different So many different things, you know, so I get excited when I see someone that I know has been working at it and developing their thing and they find the way to, you know, maybe quit their day job and go all in on on music. Um, That's a huge thing to, to see. But the you know, the question of how to get there, there's no one answer to that. So I am interested to see what everyone has to share today in this conversation.
0: After the break, we'll meet WNXP Artist of the Month, Savvy, so stay tuned. Julie Height is the Editorial Director for WNXP. Julie, thanks so much for being on the show. You're so welcome. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we will talk with Nashville rapper and producer Mike Floss and Savvy, and find out some innovative ways that Mike has made the musical path work for himself. Nashville musicians, what's the grind been like for you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Okay, so I want to share something with you that you may not know about me. When I was younger, I pursued a music career making hip hop in Los Angeles. My crew was called Fresh Air. We were pretty good. Really good, actually. We released a couple singles to a bit of acclaim, performed at places like the Roxy and what was once known as the Knitting Factory. But I had to work three jobs to make ends meet. This was before the time of smartphones and streaming platforms. Avenues to make money were limited and closely tied to a record company. Today, there are many more opportunities, not only to make money, but to release music. Now I'd like to introduce musician and producer Savvy, who is the WNXP artist of the month for April. Savvy, thanks for being here. Man, of course. Thanks for having me. This is sick. So congratulations on your new record Poor, which came out last week. What does this recognition mean to you? Man, this is uh this is everything.
2: Um, this is huge. Uh it's this this release is a it's a lot of firsts for me and my friends. Um they're outside the studio right now, but uh, a lot of us just really started creating, um, you know, in high school or in college, and then we met we met each other in college. So to be able to uh, now be on the city's, you know, number one uh, news station, it's 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 fire, and it's it's everything we could dream of.
0: I appreciate it. Oh yeah, thanks for calling us number one. Oh, I appreciate man, of that. course, of course. So I want to play a clip from a song on that album called uh-huh. "Go." Let's okay. let's take a listen.
2: Best Cut my hair and dye it. Won't take it there. You tried it. Shut the flares flying. And yeah, the spikes are flying. So what's the use in lying? So what's the use in trying? I think that you were sliding. It's time to slide. It's getting old.
0: It's personal. I'm feeling that. Oh, man. That's, you got, like it. You that's like got bounce. It. Oh, that's got bounce. <laughs> I that, appreciate that, and it, man. That's a perfect summertime song. Yes, sir, man. We're oh, trying man. to make
2: all the bops for the summer. I'm feeling yes, that. Yes, sir. Well sir. done. Tell me a little bit more about the track. Oh, man. So, Go, um, it's produced by my good friend, um, Diamond Store, Jared Hall. Um, yeah, he played me the beat, and um, it was it was something that I haven't done before. I think as a uh, as a musician, but also just as a creative on any medium, you always want to Try new things to keep it exciting. So, um, I think the music that I was listening to around the time when I made that song was very influential in me making that song. Um, and it was just like a lot of indie indie pop, indie rock. Um, uh, growing up, I used to listen to like a lot of the Police, a lot of bands, Chicago, and stuff like that. So, um, I think influences everything, and what you listen to is going to show through. You know what you make. Um, as far as subject matter, um, I just wanted to make like a, a, a summer song, like you said, but also something that, um, you know, if you're going through um, a situation with a significant other or just, you know, anybody in, in any um, level, uh, it comes a point in time where you feel like, you know, okay, I think you should leave. I think you I think it's time for you to go. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, to make that for the people who don't know how to say, I think you should go. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's all that was for mm-hmm. real.
0: I love when you talk about your influences, cause that's the beauty of hip hop. Yeah. It takes from everything. A hundred percent. To create something new. Mm-hmm. What brought you to
2: music city? Oh man. Um, I came here, uh, 2019 for school. I attended, uh, middle Tennessee state university. Um, and originally I just wanted to come out here to, um, to, to learn how to produce and make scores for movies films TV video game commercials the whole nine um, but I went to a, a local show that was um, being thrown by a bunch of college students and I just remember seeing people like sing these original songs and and um, and know the songs and, and going to the artists and it really put the the passion in my heart and um, and let me know that like this is a this is a possibility here you know so um I went, to, uh, I went to high school in Huntsville, Alabama, and just growing up, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for this or, you know, for you to even be on a, a radio show or, you know, that's, it could really do something to, to your mind of, like, do I even think I can do this or pursue this? And so coming to Nashville, it just really told me that, like, it's possible for you to chase your dreams and, you know, to go after it. So since then, we just haven't stopped and, you know, you find the right pieces around you and, Make it happen, yeah.
0: That's right. My my next guest is actually on Savvy's new record and has shown Savvy some of the ropes. Mike Floss is arguably one of the most influential hip-hop artists in Nashville, and he joins us now, Mike Floss.
3: What up, Woody? How you feeling?
0: I'm good, my man. How about yourself?
3: I'm great, man. I'm great. Can I change the the intro to one of the most influential rappers in the world?
0: Yes. (laughs) You got that. (laughs) You got that, my man. Mike Floss' song from his EP Contraband, Giant.
3: C.O. in my face with no idea what a correction is Some the County counting cash bail right by your residence Wash your money with our melanin, ain't been no fraud Love away your guilty conscience, that ain't never been my job I think heaven starts at night between the moon and all the stars Guess that's why the sky is black, I'm looking up like oh my god Cause what I learned is we can turn ties together if we keep trying They gonna keep selling us lies if we keep buying I do this for the kids a Pearl is too defiant I never let this world reduce my giant. We want money
0: for affordable and dignified housing, and not money. We want money for our teachers and support staff, and not money. We want money for fair and dignified wages, and not money. We want money for a transit for working class neighborhoods, and not money. We want money. For- so- I was at the EP release party, and when this song played, everybody got into a zone and they were paying attention. Can you tell me a little bit more about this track?
3: Um, Giant is on my new EP, Contraband. It features uh, my good friend, my brother, Jamel Campbell Gooch, who's an organizer here in Nashville, Tennessee, who you hear talking on the hook. Um, And it's really just about not allowing any obstacle to get in your way and not allowing um, any system to to oppress you without some, some uh, what's the proper word for the radio? Uh, without some pushback. <laughs> yeah. Without some pushback. And um, I think I think what's important about it is the messaging on a local level. I think it's a universal message, but I think specifically here in Nashville, it's really important on the community side to talk about what we're fighting.
0: There's a line in there about the kids at Pearl. Can you talk to me a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, I went to Pearl Cone High School, man. Played basketball, marching band, all of that. And um, the 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 education system always doesn't accommodate black people culturally, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of times you get punitive punishment in the school system for what may be creative expression, what may be um, a learning difference, and... A lot of times if a kid is not assimilating into that educational system, they just rule that person as unruly or defiant or Mm -hmm. some other type of term that leans towards criminality. So a lot of times I think those are the real fighters and the people that make change in this world. And those are the people that's going to stand up when everybody is being told to sit down. So that's what I feel a lot of my music is for.
0: The project had a little bit of an unusual genesis. Yeah, how did you make contraband?
3: Contraband was made. Well, first I have a um, residence. I was artist first, musician in residence with the Civil Rights Corps, which is an organization that's fighting for reform and reform as a means to abolition when it comes to the prison industrial system. And I wanted to make some music that could be. Cool to listen to and easy to listen to and not preachy, but also get a message across. So we just started off with the idea of what does a world look like without police, or what does a world look like without everything being punitive in terms of punishment, and think more about restorative justice.
0: So your father, Rod Mag- Magaha, is a jazz musician. Did he give you any advice? about navigating the world of music and the music business?
3: Oh, for sure. He said everybody's going to try to rob you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Never n- never sign nothing without reading it um, and also having the lawyer read it. He also was very clear about the fact that if you think you're going to, if you think you're just going to come in the system and it's going to be, you know, a smooth sailing and an easy path, then you're in the wrong business. There's no one way to anything. In this business, there's no set path. There's no set journey. There's no stories that you can listen to that's going to apply to you because everyone's is unique. So I kind of came into it with that mindset.
0: It's rare for a musician to go out there and to make it on their own. You need a community for support. So Savvy, how has Mike helped you? Oh, man, we
2: would be here all day if I had to, <laughs> if I had to talk about that. But um, just to keep it brief, man, this is the uh, the big brother I've, um, I've always wanted. And um, I just really appreciate him for being so welcoming um, from the moment I met him, and um, <clears throat> just even conversations on the side, just uh, that have nothing to do with music or creativity. Just you know, life advice, uh, whether it be about girls, sports, whatever, fashion, just anything. It's always been um, always been love at the core, and so I just really appreciate him for um, always being there to share uh, the wisdom that he has. Um, and the, the stories that uh, you know, he, he has been through and the stuff that he, that he's done, it's been so pivotal um, to have somebody who's, who does what you do and does it at an exceptional level. So um, uh, other than me already being a fan of him and his, and his music and what he does, uh, the real-life conversations and, and, and the day-to-day checkup
0: and stuff like that, that's what means the most more than anything. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ecolona. We're talking about how working musicians are finding new ways to survive in our town as the costs of living keep going up. My next guest is a multi-instrumentalist and the co-founder of the Nashville Concerto Orchestra. Larissa Maestro has performed with everyone from Alison Russell to Eminem, and she joins us now. Welcome, Larissa.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm curious. Really, thank you for being here. So I'm I'm curious, how did you find a path to making a living making music?
4: I feel like it was all just an accident. I feel like Mm. everything I did was either, I'll rephrase, either an accident or some sort of uh, survival technique that I developed uh, subconsciously. uh, Because I always knew I wanted to make art, but there wasn't really anyone telling me how that was going to work, uh, even as someone who went to music school, right? I I went to music school and nobody told me how to do making music as a living. Mm. They, they said, here's how you learn to write counterpoint. Cool. Uh, yeah. How do I pay my bills? Yeah. How do I put food on my table? There was no absolutely no education around that and i think that's a problem in arts education across the board anyway uh but yeah it really was like figure out how to pay my bills so i got a job at pm when i first moved here pm now closed right it's closed um and that was because there aren't a lot of asian americans (laughs) in nashville so i very easily walked in there and got a job Hmm. um But it was just that, just figuring out how to pay the bills and also just saying yes and playing music whenever I could.
0: Now you had to juggle a lot of jobs to work as a musician. Tell me, what has it taken for you to make it work?
4: Um, For me, I think it's taken uh, honing a lot of those survival techniques. one of which was being able to use my very specific skill set in lots of different kinds of ways. So when I discovered that playing the cello by itself was not going to pay my bills, um, I started arranging string sections and contracting string sections. Um, And that also wasn't a conscious thing. It wasn't like I should do this because it'll bring in more money. It was like, Oh, I could also do that. Mm. That's that seems fun, and also is more work. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna keep saying yes when people ask me to do something I've never done before, mm. which was, I think, uh, something that that uh, I was totally good to embrace because uh, I have ADHD and I need the dopamine as well as the money.
0: Okay, and that I like that because it's the the development of new skills as well. Yes, absolutely. Now, Mike, does what Larissa is saying, does that resonate with you?
3: A hundred percent. The only reason why I make beats was because of opportunity, you know, and because of not having money to buy beats or not having money to pay producers, you know. So you have to learn the skills that you can't pay for, that you can do for yourself for free. And a lot of that is... What I've been able to do, you know, to sustain myself and to kind of cut my overhead down, because a lot of times it's not how much you have coming in, it's about how much you have going out. Mm. So if you can spend less, that's a big part of being able to keep your head above water.
0: Now, a lot of people want to make it big quickly. They want that hit, but it's not really always the case. Savvy, what type of advice did you hear about exposure in the music business?
2: Oh, man, <clears throat> um, I've heard it. I've heard a lot of different things. Um You know, I've heard that uh, sometimes it takes years for that to happen. Sometimes it takes, you know, uh, it takes people until they're in their their late 40s to get that one, you know, and and, um, you'll be chasing that if that's what you're doing it for. But I just feel like once you do it for a whole other reason, you're fulfilled in a whole other way. So um, instead of, like, chasing that hit, um, just enjoy the ride. You know, one thing that I feel like we've talked about, me and Mike have talked about is, how this isn't, it's not a sprint, it's not like a race. You're not racing against the next man or, you know, you're not racing against the competition, whoever else is doing whatever in the city. It's its really a marathon. You're running at your own pace. So I feel like once you look at things from that aspect, it makes the process a whole lot more fun. So, Do you feel supported by the scene
0: here in Nashville?
2: Oh, man, I felt nothing but love here. Um, and, and it's so funny because I feel like one of my... I guess anxieties moving here was, you know, not being from Nashville, coming and being a part of something that's already established and that is, you know, rising and surging um, across the nation. Uh, My biggest thing was being accepted, but I feel like um, it's kind of like a balance, you know. Uh, I feel like once you're just yourself, that's when people accept you the most. So, um, you know, I've just been myself since I've been here and I've gotten nothing but love from the people here and I appreciate it a hundred percent.
0: Mike, tell me. Future hat on right now. Okay. Where do you think the industry is headed?
3: Oh wow. So the industry so music has always evolved with tech, right? Mm-hmm. Like the introduction of the MP3 changes the entire landscape of what happens. So as as this whole web three space begins to evolve, I think music exists a lot more in the AR and VR world and that integration of tech is gonna be the primary driving factor for where the game is going. So I think as much as we can, as artists and musicians, learn about that space, the more prepared we can be as things inevitably shift.
0: Now, I know the people going to be listening who are going to go to their young son, their daughter, nieces, nephews, yeah. and friends who are like, yo, Mike Floss was on NPR today. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have them listen to this. What advice do you have for them as far as— Different mm. streams of being able to create revenue and to make it for themselves okay. in the music industry.
3: So a few things a few things you can do. Um there's audio content work that's out there. You know, sometimes you gotta understand that if you're trying to make music for a living, it's not gonna be I'm making a song that I wanna make for my single, for my artist page on streaming services and things like that. Sometimes you have to do work for hire. Right, and a lot of times the way you get that work for higher opportunity is by way of releasing quality work, right? So one of the first things I would tell them is don't trip on streams, don't trip on, like, how much people are consuming your music directly. The goal that you really want when it comes to sustaining yourself financially is you want the right people to hear what you can bring to the table because there's a need for artists, there's a need for singers, rappers, producers, writers in spaces that aren't necessarily directly the music industry. Everything that you see that's visual has some type of audio content with it, Mm -hmm. typically. So all of those All of those pieces of audio are being made by somebody. So if you can put quality work out there, even if it doesn't stream crazy, those opportunities will start to come
0: to you. Rapper producer Mike Floss, arguably one of the most influential rappers in the world, (laughs) was joined (laughs) by musician and producer Savvy, who is WNXP's Artist of the Month. Thanks to you both for being here. Larissa Maestros, please stick with us through the break. We have to take that quick short break. When we come back, we'll learn what it's like to work for a living while pursuing a music career, from gigs to day jobs to busking on the corner. There are many ways to make ends meet. Tweet us at this Is Nashville if you would like to share your stories of being a working musician. We'd love to hear them. We'll be right back. Khalil Colona and this is Nashville. On a sunny day last fall, our producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley went to the Parthenon to meet a friend who had told her, you have got to come hear this guy. It was a familiar scene here in Nashville. A delighted crowd gathered around to listen as a man held court on some steps, wailing away on the saxophone. That is nasty. The man playing the saxophone is my next guest, Jermaine Pitts. Jermaine, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. So I know it's been a while, but do you remember how much you made that day?
5: Um, I probably made like maybe 400 bucks, maybe a little more than that. That's not bad. Yeah, no, it's not bad at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I understand that you've played the saxophone for a long time, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit that you started doing it publicly.
5: Yeah, I had no idea. Um, that anybody would even want to hear me play saxophone. For the most part I played in my bedroom by myself um, in a closet <laughs> maybe mm. you know late at night when nobody was awake but not really for anybody. I'd play it, you know, somebody would ask me to play at church and I'd be like, ah, "I don't know if I got it in me, you know, cuz I was <laughs> afraid." So. so what led you to making that decision to break through that fear and start playing in public? COVID forced me to do it. So during mm. COVID, I got furloughed from my job, I didn't think I was gonna get furloughed. I was like, oh, my job's in demand, there's no way, there's no possible way. And when it happened, um, I had all this time on my hands. You know, The government was giving me enough money to survive, so I just, wherever there was concrete, I would play. And one day, somebody, I used to play with my case closed, and somebody came up to me and tried to give me money, and I said, no, I would always tell people, no, I don't need it, because I'm getting paid from the government. Mm -hmm. And the guy opened my case up, and he put a $100 bill in there, and he said, I know you're not supposed to be here. I forget where I was. It's, I know you're not supposed to be here, and he said, "If if you don't leave this case open, I'm going to call the cops." And you take this money because you have blessed me, and I want to bless you. And it was at that moment a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, somebody actually likes what they're hearing. Okay, you know?
0: what aspects of busking? that what are, what are the aspects of busking that people may not know about? I know it's not as simple as just setting up at a
5: particular place and time and playing, is mm-hmm. it? No, no, you have to, there are unwritten rules to busking, especially as a horn player. You have to know, you know, you don't wanna play too late. You definitely don't wanna play in a residential area too loud. Um, you you need to know where the people are, um, and most of the people are obviously on Broadway. But Broadway is not—you can't busk on Broadway. It is probably the only place in the city where it's illegal to busk. Mm. Um, you'll see people down there, um, but the cops have more important things to worry about, you know, than kicking somebody off the street who's you know playing music. But if if a business complains, you're going to get moved. And so what I've learned is I start every day off with prayer. Okay, <laughs> really, because during during COVID. Um, The times where the money wasn't enough, it was a supplement to my in- to the income, and it really helped me. But if you want to busk, you've got to first understand that there are going to be days where you don't make money. Um, there will be three or four hundred people that will walk past you and not. I don't care if you sound like Beethoven; they're not going to put money in your hat, and you have to be okay with that. Larissa Maestro is still with us.
0: Larissa, have you ever busked?
4: Uh. I did a couple of times when I was in in college. Um, But it's not very easy to busk with a cello. Mm. Uh, You need a place to sit. Um, And in a loud spot, a cello doesn't really carry unless you have amplification. A horn is a great instrument for busking uh, because it's portable. You can carry it. You can play while you're walking. um, And it's loud enough that everyone can hear it, you know, for a couple blocks. Yeah. The cello is really difficult to busk with. Uh, so yes, <laughs> a couple of times.
0: So we heard Jermaine talk about the pandemic. How did that affect your ability to work?
4: Uh, it it affected it a lot. Um, I I kind of, prior to the pandemic, had split my income between live music and recording. Um, and I had leaned a lot more toward recording, but still live music was a big part of my income. Um, and of course, when the pandemic hit, that stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, all the shows were canceled. Um, all the tours were canceled. Every Everything in person was canceled. Um, and because some of my income and some of my work is chamber music, um, that was just not an option. Um, chamber music is very, very dependent on being in a room together. Um, Like you can't play a Beethoven string quartet without making eye contact with the other players. You can't do that remotely. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. Um, So that went away. So I shifted a lot of my attention to recording. I was lucky enough to already have a good recording setup in my home. because I had done a lot of remote recording work in the past, but there were a lot of people who didn't have that option. A lot of recording musicians like me who didn't have a home recording studio. So I was lucky that I could still have clients send me a song and say, put cello on this or put strings on this or arrange something for it, sing on it, whatever. And I could do that at home and send it back to them and, you know, get paid. But that that was... That, I mean, that was a privilege that I had. Um, but I also went on unemployment, mm-hmm. which was a complete nightmare, a total nightmare uh, for almost every self-employed person yeah. uh, to try to prove that I was a working member of society, uh, and that I deserved to get help it was demoralizing, and it was uh, really, really frustrating. Um, the The only help I got was from my uh, state rep, my state rep's office, Vincent Dixie's office. Um, that was great. That's their job. But the fact that I still pulled the minimum that I was able to get because it, <laughs> they weren't able to look at anything but my W-2s. And I'm self-employed. So my income streams are not W-2s. My W-2s are gigs. My W-2s aren't salary jobs. And the fact that the system was not set up for uh, for anyone in those offices to understand that was uh, eye-opening to, uh, to me and how uh, gig workers and self-employed people are treated in those situations. Um, and it was just also just so exhausting it was it was really just the worst that the the those first few months of the pandemic trying to figure out how to not just go into total debt and also my water heater needed to be replaced like five months into the pandemic that that was like one of those things that was just like how come i have no support Mm. um and i know that i'm not the only one that felt that way and that there were people I had friends uh self-employed music uh workers who never received unemployment who were never able to get it um just because they weren't able to prove that they were m- <laughs> tax-paying members of society yeah um and that is just ridiculous to me that's it's ridiculous.
0: I want to ask you about some of the thoughts for solutions we have in, uh, that you have in a minute, but if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil La Colonna. We're talking with musicians Larissa Maestro and Jermaine Pitts about working as musicians in our city and what it takes to create a sustainable income. We were talking about the pandemic and how it affected musicians' ability to work, and I have a lot of friends who are DJs, and it was tough for them as well. Some of them also never received unemployment, and it took forever, and it took them calling their state representative and government officials to really make some work happen for them. And my next guest knows about how hard it is to work during a pandemic. Andrea Guess is a musician who played gigs during the height of the pandemic. Andrea, thanks for joining us.
6: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Okay, so the pandemic is spreading around like wildfire across the globe, and you were still playing gigs on Broadway. What was that like?
6: It, well to make money to pay bills was the, the the main goal, but it was also scary because, you know, there, there weren't any vaccinations at the time and, um, venues were doing all that they could to provide social distancing. When you're used to a room being full of people and it's down to maybe 10, 15 people allowed in, if it's a small venue, uh, obviously the revenue is not going to be the same. And, uh, it it was scary. I was like, I have to keep, I have to keep going. I have to keep playing, but uh, not knowing what was going on, what was going to happen next. It was kind of kept you on pins and needles the entire time. Um,
0: You know, a lot of musicians don't have health insurance or a 401k plan. So how does that, how did that affect your decisions on what gigs to take?
6: Well, going, when everything shut down, I had gone from playing, you know, Um, 400 shows in 2019. uh, Down when everything shut down in March to to nothing. I had to you know pick up another job. I I didn't have health insurance, so I was like, okay, bills are still coming in. I like you know they had mentioned before, couldn't get unemployment. I was like, I have to do I have to do something, and just taking a risk. And it probably wasn't the smartest thing that I've ever done, Uh, but. I was like, these bills are going to keep coming in and I've got to pay them. Otherwise I'm going to lose everything I have. And, you know, also going through a divorce, it felt like the the whole world was really falling apart. So I had to pretty much pick up and do anything I possibly could uh, just to make ends meet.
0: Now, Jermaine, you work full-time job and you yeah. perform on the side. Mm-hmm. What was your thought process? Well, what is your thought process as you think about going along and being a full-time musician mm-hmm. with the fact that there's no benefits that a full-time job provides for you?
5: It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening um, because health health care is outrageously expensive for no godly reason other than capitalism. Uh, and we were talking about this outside. I mean, you know, I, I I, from my experience living in a van, I lived in a van for two years when I moved here, I have to literally eliminate every unnecessary expense and I can't live luxuriously. Mm-hmm. I am, the the, re, the main reason why I'm going to play music now is because I am fundamentally unhappy with what I'm doing. And so given given what happened during COVID, I have to essentially create a COVID fund for myself because this is this will not be the last time something like this happens and I was lucky because I had a job and I was able to prove that you know, I was You know a worker, but if it weren't for that the amount of money that was coming in from unemployment was minuscule I mean, you couldn't even pay your phone bill with what was coming in, and so uh, I'm grateful to the city of Nashville that they even allow buskers in the first place because it supplements my current income. If I only worked my current job, I would be working paycheck to paycheck, Mm -hmm. and if I tried to live in a traditional apartment here in Nashville, I would be eating rice and beans every single day because it's, it's outrageous, the cost of living in Nashville and to live an hour away and then commute an hour each way every day to play you can't do it because buskers we have to we have to play with where the weather is so if it's 50 degrees abo- or above and sunny you're out and playing but that can change everybody who lives in Nashville knows you know it could, the forecast could say sunny but it could rain in 5 minutes and be torrential downpours for 2 weeks straight mm-hmm. so you have to you have to play and so I'm terrified because I will not have health insurance. I'm terrified because I will not have a 401k. But the the joy that I get in my heart when people hear the music and they stop and they listen to somebody who was a crack baby, you know, who, you know, was adopted and was told that he would never be anything to um, have this dream be realized that I can actually play music and bring people joy and possibly support myself doing it, I'm willing to take the risk. That makes me think. We, as the pandemic really set on, um, the entire country's
0: focus and Nashville's focus was on essential workers, people who are essential to helping our communities and our economy run. But I think there was... Uh, people ignored the fact that musicians, entertainers... Help make our society run as well. We recognized how much we missed having access to going to live shows, and I'm wondering, like, what do you all think this the city can do? Like Larissa, what can the city do to help provide a safety net to make musicians and entertainers essential workers if something like this were to happen again?
4: Um, well, I want to start by saying, we live in Music City. We are essential workers. Mm-hmm. Um, without us, this is not Music City. Right. Uh, We are the thing that is making it exciting for people to move here and spend money here. Um, And we are not assigned that value. I think ultimately what it comes down to at its core is how we assign value to things and what happens when money is the only barometer for if something is successful or not. Right. And that includes the economy of a city growth. Right. So we have to think about how we're spending money in Nashville, where it's going, where we're investing. So we're investing in things that are future things. We're investing in tourists in the future coming here to spend money instead of spending money on people who live here now who have made Nashville what it is. People who were born here, grew up here, people who make art here, and really, really prioritizing those people, prioritizing people in Nashville. And this is not just about music. This is about across the board, right? Mm-hmm. This is about prioritizing neighborhoods, prioritizing affordable housing. This, all of these things are connected to music in Nashville, um, and we have to be aware of that when we think about. I think assigning value to a commodity like music or a service like music or art. um, What, what I think is that there's a fundamental misconception of what that value is. That value is not just monetary. That value is within communities and the value of art cannot be quantified in that way. Mm -hmm. And so we have to think about when we invest in something Do we always need to be looking for a monetary return on that investment? Can we we be looking for a community building return on that investment? Can we be looking at how are my neighbors doing? Are they doing better? Are they happier now because we made that investment in our community.
0: I need to, I want to ask this last question to Andrea. I got 30 seconds for you. What does the city need to do? Because housing prices are way, way, way too high. What can the city do to ensure that musicians can still live here and survive in Nashville? You got about, you know, 15, 20 seconds.
6: I mean, just maybe a musician's rate, like something like that would be amazing.
0: Raising musicians' rate, making it paying them them better because the rent is too damn high. I feel that 100%. I want to thank all of my guests, musician Jermaine Pitts, Larissa Maestro, and Andrea Gates. Guests, thank you all for being here with us today. Really appreciate this. We want to thank everybody who tuned in to this show, this hour. Tomorrow, we're going to learn about all the invasive species of plants and insects in Tennessee. You are going to bug out. No pun intended. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. You can listen back at This Is Nashville on thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche. Rose Gilbert and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon, feel better. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to WNXP's Julie Height. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Kalona. Keep playing the music. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.